A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 240 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the smell of a tauntaun on the icy plains of Hoth, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hello, everyone. Um, I, I, I was the one who set this recording time, only to realize, you know, with five minutes left before we were supposed to record, that oh crap, I need to get in here and set everything up. I got tied up putting up some shelves to put games on in our uh, bedroom. So I'm hauling big boxed games, like deck building games and stuff, back and forth and back and forth and completely lost track of time. So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, none of those were Star Wars games, so there's nothing appropriate to talk about with them. I am just forgetful. <laughs> That's okay. I, my, my studio's in chaos. I decided to move the, the sectional couch and where I wanted to put it. It didn't quite fit, so now I've got it in three sections. The two of them are stacked on top of each other. It's complete pandemonium. <laughs> hey, but enough about that. Let's get into our subject at hand. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and Sapota Wee. This episode, we take a look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars Publishing. This episode, will be focusing on the comics of 2018, with our next episode being the television and the films, and then the uh, games and um, other stuff. So, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right. And we've actually got uh, several different publishers involved this time, of course. We have the typical Marvel that everybody tends to think of when they think of modern Star Wars comics, but also IDW, who is also putting out Star Wars comics, albeit ones aimed at a younger audience typically. But we also have Yin Press involved with bringing over a manga adaptation of a Star Wars novel for U.S. readers as opposed to uh, Japanese readers, which was the case previously. So... Three different publishers. We're going to hit them in publisher order, essentially, here. So we start with the big one. We start with Marvel Comics. And uh, the first series that we see from Marvel this year is the ongoing, simply called Star Wars series. Uh, this year saw the end of the arc known as the Ashes of Jeddah, along with its trade paperback. Saw full arcs of Mutiny at Moncala and Hope Dies. Uh, Mutiny at Moncala has the... Uh, a trade paperback with the same name. Hope Dies is actually in a trade paperback uh, named Hope Burns. And then we have uh, the beginning of the arc, at least in 2018, called 
the escape. Along with that, we had the fourth annual, which is also in that Hope Burns trade paperback, and the third volume of the hardcover collection. So Star Wars ongoing. Mark, what would you think of this one this year? You know, I, I've been a fan of the ongoing Star Wars from Marvel. Um, you know, for the most part, it's been pretty good. And the Ashes of Jedi, it's one I haven't got to read all the way through, but I've got to flip through it a few times. And the art, I actually, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, I mean, I think Marvel has got a pretty solid crew when it comes to most of their artists for the most part. Although there has been a lot of that whole take a picture of Han and Luke and, and trace over it thing, which it sometimes... I don't know. Sometimes that isn't so great, but I, I don't know. It didn't feel like there was a lot of that in this one. Yeah, this is one that, I mean, I think in the past, for the most part, it's just kind of been there. There's been some good moments, but it really hasn't screamed at me like, this is awesome Star Wars. But they've done some pretty good things in 2018. I mean, Ashes of Jeddah did a good job of linking the events in the post-A New Hope era back to the events of Rogue One and giving a chance for the heroes of the Battle of Yavin to really get a sense of who the heroes were that made it possible in the first place, which is not something, of course, that we would have seen in Legends, at least not with that group of characters, because Rogue One, of course, didn't exist within the Legends mm -hmm. continuity. So we get a chance to see how that plays out here, whereas, of course, in Legends, we had, you know, the connections with uh, uh, Leia, Bale, uh, Bria, uh, and so on. We had all these characters who we kind of knew what their roles were surrounding the Death Star plans being found, you know, Kyle Katarn, Jan Ors, and so on. So um, it's nice to be able to see that kind of interweaving here to a degree. Um, I was also very impressed with Mutiny at Moncala, not because of the story itself per se, although it was a solid story, but the fact that Mutiny at Moncala was being released at the same time that we were getting Burning Seas, which we'll talk about from Dark Vader, Dar Dark Vader, Darth Vader, mm -hmm. Dark Lord of the Sith. I always get the D words tripped up when I try to say that whole title um, because essentially what we were getting was the a prequel era version of what was happening on Moncala and the rebellion era version that were linked together by the events happening in each one. It was pretty cool. It was almost the kind of thing you would expect of something like one of those cross through things like when they tried to do uh, that with Dark Horse um, with, you know, Celeste Morn and the mirror talisman Vector. and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a crossover, but not a crossover per se. In this case, some of the characters, you know, just showed up later because they were alive for both stories. Um, Hope Dies, I thought was the closest thing we've probably gotten, except for maybe the Mon Cala story arc. One of the closest things we've gotten to actually seeing some meaningful epic events in the comics in a while, because we've complained a lot about how the comics and the novels don't seem to be allowed to do really important stuff. In this case, I guess because the films on either side are already sort of set in stone, um, they were able to pull a little bit in the middle as to giving us, you know, the first appearance of the executor, giving us uh, basically a major uh, uh, confrontation, uh, building up of some characters that we saw back in the previous Darth Vader series and such. So I think that worked fairly well, although it did cause a continuity issue because a character dies in that story who is a rebel officer uh, who has material written by that character as in-universe documents in Rebel Files that was published around the same time. So mm -hmm. is the character alive? Is the character dead? Because if they're dead, they couldn't have written those documents much, much later and so on. So, um, you know, a little bit of a hiccup there. Um, Escape of has kind of been meh on so far. Um, but ge generally speaking, I would say 
um, that it made for a solid year for the Star Wars ongoing series. And actually, artwork-wise, for me, I, there, there's a degree to which I'm okay with the artwork looking like they're taking photo references to an extreme, mm-hmm. because the opposite is something like Mace Windu Jedi of the Republic, where it's like, hey, what's Mace Windu look like? And the answer isn't a bald, clean-shaven Samuel L. Jackson, or hey, it's Nick Fury, clean-shaven and with both eyes, or something like that. It's <laughs> He's a generic, bald, black dude made out of mashed potatoes. No. Okay. Um, so, to me, being more photorealistic, even if it's kind of an uncanny valley almost kind of thing, versus um, being completely stylized to the point where characters are virtually unrecognizable, um, I'm leaning towards the former rather than the latter most of the time. Right. All right. The next big ongoing series, which has now come to an end as of uh, this time, is Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, which is essentially Darth Vader Volume 2 coming out of Marvel. Uh, The Dark Lord of the Sith subtitle is part of the official name. It doesn't ever appear on the cover, so it does tend to get confusing for some. Uh, But yes, the series it just ended is Darth Vader, colon, Dark Lord of the Sith, as opposed to Darth Vader's colon, which was probably going to be written by Chuck Wendig, I think. think It would have been appropriate, but that's a whole other story. So we start with the ending of The Dying Light, which was then in the trade paperback entitled Legacy's End. And then we got the full arcs in 2018 with The Rule of Five and Burning Seas. Uh, Rule of Five is in Legacy's End. Burning Seas is in its own trade paperback. Bad Ground, which is a single-issue story, which was then included in the Burning Seas trade paperback. And Fortress Vader with the origins of Vader's castle that we see in Rogue One. Along with this, we also had the second annual for Darth Vader in general. But if I'm remembering correctly, the first annual was actually for the original series. The second annual is for this new series, so they're not actually annuals of the same series, um, which was also included in the Burning Seas trade paperback. Uh, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith. Uh, Charles Sewell in charge of this one instead of Kieran Gillen. Um, what'd you think? I, You know, Sewell's become one of my favorite storytellers in the Marvel comic genre. Um, I, I found this Vader series, and, and in fact, Fortress Vader especially, uh, is, is damn good i mean probably some of the best star wars storytelling we've gotten so far in the canon in the aspect of what they've done with a film character and broadening them i mean you know we're starting to see some other stuff in 2019 that also is good but what they've done with vader here is something that is is almost as exciting as when we got the purge comics back in legends um i i dig the art uh i dig the direction they've taken him. But when we get to Fortress Vader and when we tap into Vader and Anakin and his force presence and how it's represented on the page, I mean, that imagery has become some of my favorite imagery. I mean, I was screenshotting the heck out of a lot of these pictures and stuff, putting them on my phone. Cause I mean, there's some great moments where you see Anakin's soul basically in the force and where his arms are cut off. You see just this dark red plasma, like, presence that's not quite there it's not glowing in the force like the rest of him still is which i I just there was something about that that really spoke to me you know it brought me back to the ways of looking at the force and the way anakin solo when when he passed away the way he was burning bright with the force and you saw that with with anakin even though he was the dark 
lord you know he still had a burning bright presence in the force and yet even though his arms and his legs were replaced with mechanical limbs they too had an echo of the dark energy that was collected inside of him and i thought it was crazy and it was all in this plot to open a doorway to death and find the netherworld to find his wife and the way that it all played out was just mind-boggling i mean there were days where the internet was like breaking it down like this means that sidious is now his father it's been confirmed because of a vision like i mean it was it was fun to watch the fandom freak out i guess sometimes you know it feels like that doesn't happen in the right direction <laughs> this time it was story-based and I, I find that's that's a great kind of freak out because then people get debating you know get some going and and there were things like that and moments like that and and the character Mallman. i mean you know i mean that was a character that i'm absolutely in love with because it's a dark side basically it's a sith spirit i mean he's trapped in the mask in a sense but he's able to when he's on when the mask is on people he could take over their bodies and stuff and so the way vader was using Mammon to create the fortress to create the doorway like i mean everything about that was just so deep and so dark and something i would love to see even in a, in an old republic era you know go back to the ancient sith when the sith first you know whatever they became however they came get into some dark stuff like that and give us more i mean because that was that was the thing I was gobbling up the most was that tie in to that past through moments character. And when we got to get some of his backstory and how he got where he was like, Oh man, that, that was great. I, I look forward to more stories like that. Yeah. I definitely think that this series under Sewell has been one of the highlights of Marvel's tenure now with star Wars, uh, both old and new, because we got some interesting stuff in here. I mean, we basically got the origin of the inquisitors initially, we got to see the eventual fate of Jocasta Nu and some cool things relating to the Jedi Temple and the knowledge that was stored there in relation to the Empire and whether they had access to it or not and why or why not. And then we continue on. We have some interestingly uh, morally ambiguous characters showing up, um, such as characters trying to take out Vader and yet uh, – you know, there's there's a price to be paid for trying to do so. Then we got Burning Seas, which was a chance to actually connect the eras, uh, give us some basically some origin story for some of the stuff going on with Moncala. But at the same time, I was a little frustrated um, with how they handled stuff in Rule of Five uh, and in or not Rule of Five in a burn. I was looking at the, the screen uh, in Burning Seas versus Mutiny on Moncala, just in terms of. Um, some of the information we had already been provided about the, pro the profundity, the ship from Rogue One uh, and Admiral Radis, and mm -hmm. sort of it, it making it sound like things were happening at a different time than uh, they actually were meant to have taken place, at least within the stories. But that's you know a minor thing. It's kind of like the my, my minor quibble about Han Solo and the dice, right? Because you've got the guide for Last Jedi that gives us one reason why the dice are there, and then that makes absolutely no sense in relation to the actual Han Solo film, right? It's kind of a if you're gonna give us some background on this, let's actually make it the background that you use, huh? Right. Um, Fortress Vader, I thought the visions were great. I thought the idea of the Sith spirit was pretty creepy. Um, I think it actually works really well. It's funny. Fortress Vader felt more like a Star Wars horror story than what we were <laughs> supposedly getting with Tales from Vader's Castle, which were supposed to be kind of spooky stories, albeit for kids. Um, so Fortress Vader goes down uh, as a great backstory for that structure. Mm. And really, it's, it's the one-offs that kind of had me grumbling with this series. Um, we had Bad Ground, which was basically Tarkin being like, being like you know, I owe Vader. So – Vader wants me and my team to hunt him just to, to prove blah, 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 blah. And it's going to 
Anytime you bring Tarkin and Vader together, it seems like they're never quite sure what to do about their relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm worried that if you read these in chronological all the different Tarkin Vader interactions in chronological order, they won't make sense in terms of their personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Um because of, of how many stories are trying to touch on that and touching on them in somewhat different ways um, at different times. But again, I haven't tried it, so maybe, yeah. maybe not. And then technological terror, I don't want to, I don't want to bash technological terror because I'm pretty sure there's <laughs> Chuck Wendig and I just made a Wendig joke. But can we please have it so that if you're going to write a story that purposely interweaves with the novel that you've read the MFing novel first? So you can actually make sure your story does fit with the novel instead of completely contradicting it in aspects like mm. important aspects of your storytelling, like why it is uh, that Jin's mom returns back to Coruscant uh, and everything uh, from the caves and all that kind of stuff. And, and that she's rushing back versus they're still going to take another. Oh, just right. the annual should not have existed if the author wasn't going to read the damn book. Well, so in my opinion, with Marvel and their annuals, they need to pull that, that crap because usually yes. most annuals should be an issue anyway because they're telling the next part of the story. You know, like like an X Men annual I was reading. It's like you want to know what happened to this one character. You got to read that one issue because literally all of a sudden the character's back and you have no idea why. So stupid. And and then on the digital format side of things, those are usually not in the place they'd be anyway. So you're like, well, where do I put these? Like, there's very rarely do they say, oh, by the way, this takes place between episode one, blah, blah, and two of 35. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those where if you're going to do an annual to do some kind of separate story, that's fine. But make it either matter enough to justify the price tag or if nothing else. Make it inoffensive chronologically to the stories that you're telling, right? If you're going to have somebody other than the writer of the series who knows what the hell is going on, write it. Give them the education they need to do it right or give them something that is so completely devoid of any attachments that there's no chance of them stepping on the series' feet. But apparently not. Apparently they're going to keep going with these annuals. Um, The way they did the Dr. Aphra annual, the most recent one, I think, or one of the most recent ones – Actually, two of the most recent ones, uh, so the only two they've done for Dr. Aphra, wow, I've just talked myself into a circle, um, have been done well because we had one that was like – was it Origin of Black Kersantan? And another one is the origin of a couple of characters who show up in uh, one of the later stories. So uh, that worked. They were origin stories that didn't necessarily have to tie heavily in to the other yeah. stories in order to then build off of, but not so much with what they're trying to do with Vader. Yeah, it was yeah. win-loss knock. Yeah. Yep. That brings us to another ongoing series that has now ended, which is Poe Dameron. This year saw the end of the Legend Found arc and had the full arc entitled The Awakening and also gave us annual number two and volume five collected edition released. Um, What did you think of this latter chunk of Poe Dameron? Also by Sewell. See, I... I'm I'm upset with myself because I haven't caught up on my Poe Dameron. I've been so into the Vader one. I went back and reread it probably three or four times now. And every time I forget that I've got the Poe Dameron sitting there waiting to be read as well. So, so tell me this, because the one thing I was always worried about with this was like, how well does it lead up to the force awakens? Right. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> Cause that's been my one thing. Like, man, I hope they pull that off. <laughs> it doesn't 
Of course. Um, <laughs> yes, and that was the thing that frustrated me the most. Poe Dameron as a series launches as this idea of we need to find Lor Santeca because he's the one who's going to be able to have the map to the first Jedi Temple that will lead us to Luke because Luke was going to the first Jedi Temple. Go, go find him. And they spend a while trying to find him, getting into other adventures along the way, and eventually do wind up finding him. Only it's not finding that he's on Jakku with the map. It's finding him and rescuing him and being like, yeah, dude, so we need help finding Luke. And Leia said you'd probably have a map. Oh, you don't? Tell you what. Can you, like, get one and, like, find one and then let us know once you, you know, do? Because we Ooh. actually need to kill some time here with the Resistance TV series while you're going and looking. Is that okay? Um, don't worry about that story before the awakening that had kind of limited time frame for this. We already got our whole comic series in here. We're going to do a whole cartoon series. So take your time. That's all blown out of the water anyway. Um, so yeah, it ends the, the pre the force awakens chunk without ever actually setting up the force awakens. It's setting up Lor Santeca wow. to head off the adventures in Lego star Wars, the force awakens with Lor Santeca do a more thorough job of setting up The Force Awakens than the Poe Dameron comic did. God, that's uh, scary. But, I mean, but to be fair, those extra missions in Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens were actually, you know, kind of reflective. That's It's that whole mm. canon-adjacent thing and all. But they were sort of reflective right. of what we should expect because they did the same thing with that C-3PO comic and the mission in the game. Um, but it really, really disappointed me that basically this series with that that was set up with the whole premise of go find Lor Santeca. This is going to lead us into the Force Awakens. Didn't yeah. actually manage to do so. Um, it gave us good character moments, and I like the characters in it. Um, I, I think we have much more of an understanding and caring for Black Squadron thanks to reading the comic series. But what everyone assumed, and what I believe they said was the purpose of it to lead into the events of the Force Awakens, really didn't happen. It led up to sort of a pause in the process so that now resistance can happen, and eventually Lore is going to reach out. It makes sense that Lore would be on Jakku and be like, I found it. Now I'll reach out, and then Poe can come get it. But that's not really the context in which we thought it was going to happen. We, the expectation was that you know Poe is out there looking for him and discovers that he's on Jakku and has the map and goes to meet with him um, to request the map or whatever. Um, but I guess not. It's, and then, it's almost like they don't know what to do with these characters. You know, it's like with Luke and Leia and them, they're like, well, we'll just repeat what we did. We'll give them some great adventures. But with these ones, they're like, well, we got to do something that's like that, but we don't really want to tie into the films too hard. Well, you would think that with the movie that's already out and a plot point like that, they feel that it's safe to actually lead directly into it unless they're going right. to do something in Resistance near the end of that series where somehow Lor Santeca is wrapped into the mix and Poe is on his way, like maybe at the end of the last episode, he's on his way to Jakku because they just get word or something. Um, yeah. It's hard to say. Um, but I, I will say that in general, I enjoyed the series and I actually thought the awakening was a pretty cool way to end it because in essence, it's kind of like legend found ended the main story. And then the awakening jumps to after the events, not just of Force Awakens, but of Last Jedi, which, of course, have a little bit of overlap. So they're one kind of continuous story. So what oh, we wind up cool. getting is a story that's basically Poe and Finn and 3PO and Rey and all of them sort of catching up on the Millennium Falcon after Last Jedi, um, talking about all these things that have happened. And in the process of it, learning more about where Black Squadron was in their mission to try to recruit allies or, or get their allies into the fight – 
um, during the events of Last Jedi, which is why they weren't present. Mm-hmm. So it wound up with that last arc being pretty cool in the way that they handled it. It's, um, I believe, I'd have to go back and look, but it's either one of the or the only story we've got so far that actually takes place demonstrably after The Last Jedi at this mm-hmm. point. And I thought that was a great way to end it, an odd way, an unexpected way, but a solid way to end it. So Poe Dameron still gets a good recommendation, but uh, it's definitely one of those where it's kind of like temper your expectations because what you think this series is probably going to do or is meant to do ain't what it's going to do. So know you're getting a Poe Dameron story set before The Force Awakens, but understand you're not getting something leading directly into The Force Awakens. But you'll get some cool surprises if you're a fan of Last Jedi. Yeah. That brings us to another ongoing series. This one hasn't been canceled yet, which is actually a series that this year, for the most part, is made up of all original characters. We talked in our last episode when we were talking about the books about the need for Star Wars to latch on to some of these characters that are being created in books and comics, not on screen, and actually give them a chance to grow and thrive and have their own stories. And this really seems to be the place that they're experimenting with that sort of thing, because here – We've got, or and Inferno Squad, uh, because here we have a series with Chelly Afra as the main character, Triple Zero and BT One. Um, we've got Asana Solo playing a part. We've got Inspector Tolvin playing a part. We've got all these different characters who, aside from a few guest appearances uh, like uh, Doctor Evazan, it's basically a series built around characters that are not in the films, which is surprising given the reluctance that seems to be there to do so. Uh, so. We've got, in 2018, the end of the storyline entitled Remastered, and it's trade paperback, the full arc entitled The Catastrophe Con, the beginning of the arc entitled Worst Among Equals, and then the trade paperback of the previous year's story that's either known as The Enormous Prophet or Dr. Afra and The Enormous Prophet to play off of Indiana Jones, and we had the second annual entitled Win, Loss, and Knock. Uh, what'd you think? of the Dr. Afra series this year. Afra is definitely one of my favorite characters of the new canon. Um, and then second, almost first in the Marvel comic line. I mean, Vader, Vader came in hard with Fortress Vader. I mean, I really, I mean, that one put it over the edge for a while. Afra was my favorite Marvel comic. I, I love the character. Um, I love the way that they've made, you know, the, the way they've made the character relevant to today's reading public, as well as keeping the character true to what we know of Star Wars and the the constant play on the Indiana Jones riff. I mean, I think that's the one of the best parts is the fact that they take that kind of idea and then turn her into a profiteer and then watching her adventures go along. I mean, uh the characters, the side characters that she has, especially while they are reminiscent to like, you know, Luke having you know, 3PO and R2 at the beginning of A New Hope, the, the fact that they're twisted and the relationship that she ends up having there with, uh, was that triple zero there when, when he basically takes possession of her, I, that blew my mind. Like, and I'm, I'm not up to date on the last, the, uh, the last arc there, the uh, worst among equals. I haven't caught through all that one yet, but man, I mean, I just, I, I love the character and I love the fact that they're utilizing her in a great way. But what I want to see is this character make some appearances on the small screen, maybe even the big screen eventually, you know, they don't have to be big, but like bring her into the TV show at some point, you know, give her a sm- small roles, start utilizing her more in the books. I mean, they have brought that character over in the books. She's been in like one or two, very small, but 
I think this character's got some lasting power. I mean, the crossovers we've had and stuff, her running into Luke, running into Leia and stuff. I mean, uh, her and Hera. I mean, I think that that was a great direction as well. So, I mean, Aphra's definitely the one character that we should at some point see on the big screen, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely think this is a character they're building up that they could do more with. Uh, but then I have to worry a little bit that if they did decide, OK, we're going to use her in a TV show or a movie, that they decided to use her in more TV shows or more movies, that they would start making stories complete fluff in her own series because of the whole idea of being afraid of doing anything important in print instead of on the screen, um, which we talked about in the last episode. So I'm wary of that to a degree, although it's a fantastic character and situation that she finds herself in. It's always sort of um, some kind of twisted situation. And generally her interpersonal relationships, I mean, she is just a screwed up individual and it has ramifications for those around her. And it makes for a really compelling story, particularly when it comes to the love interest angle. And yeah, there is a representation side here that the character is a lesbian or bisexual, I guess, either way, um, because the relationships that she is presented as having are with women. Okay, take that aside. Regardless of the sexual orientation of the character, what's the fascinating aspect is you've got a character who has these other characters around her that are drawn to her, to her charisma, to her personality, even though they know that it's a destructive thing. And it's hard for them to resist it and hard for her to be able to put up barriers to try to push them away. And it leads to some pretty tragic events and some very dynamic interpersonal situations you see in the in this particular comic, which is kind of a fun thing. Right. The comics should be about the characters and the interactions, and hopefully they're doing big, important things as well. Um, right. I will say that I do think that this was one of the with the exception of Catastrophe Khan's interpersonal relations side of things i do think this is probably a weaker year for this series than the previous year because a lot of stuff uh, had kind of come to a head as we headed into remastered and the stuff since has been okay uh, but it hasn't been quite as good as some of the earlier stuff at least in my opinion um and in particular some of the the concepts have been a little bit odd and coupled with the way that the art is sometimes makes it even stranger like the idea mm -hmm. of was like spores that uh, that were near a Jedi when he died and took on the Jedi's personality sort of and now is <laughs> wreaking havoc on this bizarre conglomeration of like trash and ships and stuff that uh, is used as a prison. It just it's it's interesting. It's out there. It's definitely <laughs> sci-fi. It almost feels though more Farscape than it feels Star Wars to some degree, which is fine in general because I love Farscape. Uh, it's one of my favorite sci-fi series of all time but it does make this kind of an oddball mm. among the star wars series i will say though one of the things about the art that i think that i find most appealing is the cover art um ashley witter does a, a majority of my favorite covers um like dr afro number 20 is one that i absolutely love as well as 14 there's just something about the character on the covers that they just make her look very playful you get this buffy the vampire slayer kind of feel out of her you know like you just want to be one of the scoobies or in this case, you'll probably be drawn to her and then get killed. But, you know, yeah. them's the breaks, I suppose. That gets us out of the ongoing series into more of the miniseries realm, which included, among other things, Lando Double or Nothing, having the entire run in 2018 and its trade paperback, and the first couple of issues of Han Solo Imperial Cadet. And that then gets us into sort of a maxi-series called Age of Republic. There are different Age of series that are coming. And for Age of Republic... 
we had both the Qui-Gon Jinn issue and the Darth Maul issue released in 2018, uh, as well as some one-shots, one-shots of DJ Most Wanted and Beckett. So we have a Lando series, a Han series, a Beckett issue, a DJ issue, a Qui-Gon issue, and a Maul issue. Lots of little stories this time. Um, what did you think about those one-shots and miniseries uh, for 2018? So... I'm on the fence with that because I find that when they go to that type of format, it's easy to drop out and, and drop out. I did when it came to DJ most wanted Beckett, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. Uh, but I did enjoy the Repu age of Republic Qui-Gon Jinn, but then the next one came out and it was Darth Maul. And I was like, man, I wanted more Jinn. So like that to me, I think is the, is the problem I'm having with this is like, I, I became immediately invested in one issue. <laughs> and wanted to know more so i was like come on oh no give me more give me more uh the han solo imperial cadet i love the fact that we finally got that story i hope we get stuff like that with kylo ren down the road i mean you know that's what i was saying in in our last part about it felt like with poe dameron and stuff with that next generation of characters they're just not quite ready to commit to telling more of their backstory and stuff and connecting the dots like they are with characters like Han Solo, who we now know eventually is already dead. Luke's already dead. Leia's going to probably end up dead. So, you know, at some point we'll get to that point where we're getting those stories as well. So, I, but that's what I liked about that one. Uh, Lando double or nothing. Uh, I started, I started that one, but I didn't finish it yet. So, um, you know, I have only one issue into that one, like the art for the most part. Um, and that was that was it, right? No, no, the, there was the uh, the Darth Maul one. Was there another one that came after Darth Maul, or is that the Mace Windu one that just came out like this last week? Uh, there were other ones. I think the first one after that was either Obi Wan or Django, but that was 2019 officially. Okay, and that's and see, and I think the other thing that threw me off with that was the Jedi the Republic Mace Windu, and then this new one came out. So because they do these one shots and these small arcs, it I find it's easier for me to get confused when the titles are so similar. <laughs> I'm like. Wait, which one was the one I read? <laughs> but I, the Qui-Gon Jinn one, I, I really liked that one a lot. That one, I think, out of all these little one-shots and stuff, was the one that I wasn't expecting to get that much out of, but I immediately wanted to get more of that character, and it really made me long for the Jude Watson era of those stories about him and Obi-Wan. Like, I would love for them to go back and, and do a small series or a trilogy of books or, you know, something where we just go back and, and build that relationship up. You know, I mean, I want when I'm watching the Phantom Menace to hit, you know, like it still hits because I know everything from legends, but I need a cannon hit now, you know, like I've got the right hook. I need the left. So none of these for me really were all that impressive. Uh, Lando double or nothing was all right. It gave us more interaction between Lando and L3, but I don't feel like it really gave us, really much more than what we saw on screen. Yes, it's a different story, but did we get anything out of that that enhanced the experience of watching Solo? Did we get anything out of that that made us feel like we knew them better than we knew them from Solo? I just, it just didn't feel like it to me. Uh, I mean, the artwork was nice, but I didn't really feel like I was getting much out of that. I felt like I got more out of the original Lando miniseries where you had sort of the, uh, the troubled situation with Lobot, and, and everything and that friendship much more so than getting something out of this series just in in terms of what i look for in a story like it just didn't really do much for me it was decent enough not something i would say don't read but it's not something i'd recommend necessarily either um han solo imperial cadet the first few issues um are out they've been 
solid enough. I'm curious to see where they go because right now it doesn't really feel like it's doing much in terms of surprising. Oh, look, it's Han and Han doesn't follow the rules. And right. But it is nice to be able to fill in that gap. I feel like this is one of their instances where they actually are trying to fill in some gaps. And literally, this is a gap because there's that three year jump in the solo film. And this is telling us what Han was doing throughout that time, um, which is definitely a nice thing. They should probably do more of that when there are time jumps with some of these films. Um, as for, uh, the one shots DJ, I thought was all right. Um, I had to read it a second time to really make sure everything was clear. I was hoping that it would give us a little bit more depth to the character. Not really all that much, but it worked out well enough. Um, you could sort of see that as a quick little episode on Netflix or something, uh, with Del Toro playing the role. And then Beckett, I think Beckett was, was also a, a decent little romp. Uh, I don't feel like we really got a whole lot out of it, but just like DJ, it felt like it was sort of a decent quick romp with that character where at least I would say that the big comparison I would draw between these and something else would be to Canto Bite, right? Canto mm-hmm. Bite was these romps with these characters we didn't give a crap about because they were background characters and they didn't really even heavily tie into the, the Candlemite sequence in Last Jedi. Whereas yeah. DJ is a huge player. Beckett is a huge player in their respective movies. So seeing a little bit more about them and getting a chance to see them on an adventure winds up giving us a little bit more to them because they were relatively thin characters uh, depth wise within the films themselves. I don't know that we got a whole lot more depth out of them, but it was a mm-hmm. little bit and it was appreciated. Whereas with Lando double or nothing, I felt like we got so much depth for Lando and L3 in Solo that this didn't add anything to it. Like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, <laughs> but I thought those were decent enough. Um, as for the age of books, I was not all that psyched when they announced the age of product lines mm-hmm. because it was all going to be a bunch of one-shots. And I'm sitting there hoping against hope, please, 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 please let these one-shots mean something let the stories matter give us characters moments that make these memorable even if they are going to be one shots you made the the comment before about the purge series give Mm -hmm. us something that's like a purge single issue something that matters something that we're going to remember something that is very impressive or give us something where it's like a stealth maxi series crossover type thing where yeah this is the Qui-Gon issue and this one over here this is the Darth Maul issue but when it really comes down to it what you're really seeing is different pieces of a bigger story that you only understand once all the pieces are in place it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're going nor does it seem like they're going for the memorable stories that matter instead Mm -hmm. it feels like every one of these issues so far has been basically fluff I think the Obi-Wan one so far has been the one that felt like it had the most character development type meaning to it. But the Qui-Gon Jinn one, no, did, did did absolutely nothing for me. Felt like a complete throwaway story, like the kind of thing we would have seen in the early issues of Star Wars Tales back in the day. And yes, I know I'm saying that about Tales, and that's where my story was, but the point still stands because my story was essentially a throwaway story because it was basically just a little bit more with character development for Kyle and Jan that that, that nobody else ever picked up and ran with later. Um, It didn't matter in the long run like it probably should have. And then the Darth Maul one, same kind of thing. It's, it's, ooh, Darth Maul, so angry, uh, doesn't want to wait for revenge, doesn't want to have patience, so he's going to go out and kill somebody. Ooh, and Sidious is going to have to get him to back down. Ooh, and do some little bit of Sith teachings. Oh, not only have we seen this before, we've seen this in his own miniseries from Marvel. Right. I don't care. 
So neither of those age of issues for 2018 did a damn thing for me. Um, and I really feel like if this is their big idea, their big publishing push as we go from 2018 into 2019 and possibly beyond for all I know, they really got to up their game on it. I mean, it's not that they were bad stories, but they were inconsequential in the mall case, somewhat redundant. And there's little to nothing memorable about them. I will take these. I will put them away. I will probably never read them again. And if somebody asks me, hey, what was that comic about two years from now, one year from now, I'll probably barely remember, especially since I'm not summarizing from them for the Timeline Gold and having to reread them over and over again to summarize them. So I don't know. The, the age of product line needs to up its game if it's going to be the big product line, the big experimental project from marvel because i ain't doing it yet what just worries me about it is it feels too much like marvel's x-men you know age of apocalypse age of armageddon age of x-men like and that and in fact that's where we're at right now is age of x-men yeah but, I mean, but so. that's the thing but age of apocalypse was incredible because what mm. they did was the, the age of was a whole bunch of different series for those who don't know basically what they did was for uh what was it four months or something like that they went yeah. in and every because of the events of a story called Legion Quest, where Legion, who is Charles Xavier's son, who's super, super powerful, um, basically screws with time and is supposed he's trying to kill Magneto. He manages to kill Xavier instead, Professor X. And instead of the X-Men being around to stop Apocalypse when he tries to take over the planet, Apocalypse manages to take over the planet. And you have this alternate timeline that occurs, and for four months, every single of uh, one of the X-Men related comic series that was going on at the time, Uncanny X-Men, X-Men, was it X-Force, Wolverine, um, yeah. Excalibur, all those different comics got transformed into a version that fit uh, that era, like cable. So we, you had X-Man, you had um, Gambit and the Externals, and so on. You had all these interesting new takes on uh, the characters from that universe that eventually came together and you had these amazing character moments and this huge epic confrontation that happened in these uh, yeah, these Alpha and Omega issues. And it's something that was such an important part of the mythos, even though it is an alternate universe and only a few characters ever made it from that universe to the mm. main universe, uh, like Blink, for instance, um, who's now on uh, The Gifted, uh, but not with that background. Um it was such a big deal that they keep reviving the the concept every several years because it was so awesome. As opposed to this, which is we're going to change things up and we're going to have a new character every issue. It's not going to be epic at all, matter at all, or probably be remembered at all beyond its title and logo. That's it. It's, I, I would say it is the farthest thing from Age of Apocalypse you could get minus yeah, the age yeah. of in the name. It, it's a lot like. Uh, Dark Horse's Jedi line, in a sense, but even that, degree, like, but even those felt like that. At least some of them had death. Because if I remember it right, wasn't um, was it Jedi Mace Windu was the one we were introduced to several characters that wind up being major players throughout the rest of the Clone Wars yes. era prior to the cartoon coming in and smashing everything. Yes, that was, and, and when Hugh and the other masters went on that hunt, I'm pretty sure it was that one. I don't <laughs> know. It's, it's been very long, but yeah, it's it's one of these things where. If you're going to play with the concept, I guess, let me rewind. If you're going to play with that concept for an audience like us, for the hardcore Star Wars fans who are gobbling up and reading all your stuff, you need to do more with it. 
Whereas I would say that probably with these, I would bet there is in, this is in no way targeted at us. This is targeted at people who haven't picked up the new Star Wars comics because maybe their favorite era is the prequels. So they haven't bothered with any of the new stuff. And now with these individual stories featuring prequel characters, it's supposed to hook them in and get them to come in and read more of the Marvel Star Wars line. And in that case, mm -hmm. it may absolutely work. And the fact that it's a huge marketing campaign and this easy recognizable logo with a bunch of number one issues so you can start at the ground floor, even though there's only one of each ever, right. that absolutely should manage to work as a hook. But for your longtime readers, it's pretty disappointing. Mm -hmm. The but easy to skip. I do think, though, that that is an important distinction to draw because we're not always necessarily the target audience for this type of thing, despite the fact that we're Star Wars fans. There are different yeah. types of Star Wars fans. That's true. As we'll see later on, there's a lot of stuff uh, coming down the line that I was like, well, that's not really my alley. <laughs> okay. Foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, what happens when the light's behind you. The, the shadows in front of anyway um that brings us to the adaptations the second to last category for us here for marvel for adaptations we had the adaptation of thrawn that is the adaptation of the thrawn novel uh which had all of its issues released in 2018 plus its trade paperback we had all the issues in the trade paperback of the adaptation of the last jedi released in 2018 and then the first three issues of the solo adaptation released in 2018 uh what did you think of the adaptation comics this year I, I got a kick out of the Thrawn one just because I, I really I'm one of those more Thrawn. Like, I, I don't even care if it's a different Thrawn. I'm just enjoying Thrawn. Um, so I, I like that one. Uh, the Last Jedi, I didn't feel like it brought anything really outside. I mean, I guess that's my problem with most adaptations. Like, I want something new added to it or, or at least an angle on things that's new. So, yeah. For the most part, those are one of the things that I don't really collect that much of. But the Thrawn one, I had to get. I've checked out all of these. Um, the Solo one, um, it does manage to add a little bit new. Um, it, there's, I forget which issue it is, and it may even be an issue that didn't come out until 2019. I forget which issue it is. But there is an issue that picks up after the cliffhanger of, oh my god, Kira is there at Dryden Voss's ship? Why? Mm. It gives us a quick introduction that tells us a little bit about how Kira got shaped into the weapon that she became, nice. um, which, of course, is something you wouldn't have wanted to show on screen because it would give away the surprise. And in theory, you shouldn't really be showing it in the comic because it would give away the surprise. But presumably the people reading it have seen the movie, so it's mm -hmm. not a surprise. They can give the backstory here. Um, so I thought that was was welcome. Though I forget which issue it was in. Thrawn, I've actually got to give props to Jody Hauser on this one, whose Age of Republic stuff I just tore into as meaningless. So. You know, at least there's some balance here, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Thrawn novel had a lot going on in it. It had a lot of little clues here and there, characters you needed to remember, and sort of bits and pieces being put together for uh, the the main villain, so to speak, of the of, or at least the main antagonist's uh, plot and how Thrawn is figuring it out and that sort of thing. How he how they wind up coming to Night Swan and Thrawn, kind of how they're pit against each other and how they find themselves with each other. It's almost like a Moriarty and Holmes kind of thing without mm. uh, him being quite as Moriarty-esque. And for all the stuff that there was to keep track in that of in that book and all the time jumps that that book goes through uh, of months or weeks at a time, sometimes years at a time, um, I felt like the comic adaptation did a really good job of still telling that story in a way you could follow without having all the extra prose that you would need from a novel. Although I will say, mm -hmm. I think the Thrawn comic 
is probably the most word-heavy comic we've gotten from <laughs> Marvel for Star Wars in a long time, uh, perhaps yeah. ever. So I thought that was a pretty solid adaptation, and, and it was nice to see the characters that, of course, I've been imagining when reading the original book and trying to break it all down and piece it together for the Star Wars timeline goal, which had me reading bits and pieces of it over and over and over again. So uh, I would be curious for someone who didn't read the novel what they thought of the Thrawn comic and whether mm -hmm. or not it was as deep and could be as follows or maybe even better someone who read the comic and then the novel yeah. and how the experience compared because I read the novel then the comic of course um, as for Last Jedi yes you know it was there it didn't add much you know or anything to the story uh, little tiny tidbits of narration that sometimes were nice but didn't really do all that much for it it's just kind of there like most comic adaptations are but my god did somebody at the Marvel office also hate The Last Jedi? Because why did you choose that <laughs> artist and art style? Good Lord, the art on The Last Jedi adaptation was freaking insanely bad for the story <laughs> it was telling. It, it, literally, I, I sat back and wondered if this was a purposeful thing where somebody at Marvel was pissed about The Last Jedi and assigned the artist to the story. Um, I don't know what Ooh. else the artist has ever drawn. I don't know the name of the artist off the top of my head or anything like that. But the art for the Last Jedi comic adaptation really did not fit the story and really was kind of bad for the story that it was telling. I It, it blows my mind. Um, it reminds me of the old days of, you know, the mashed potato art that we've we've made fun of. It's it's probably tied with Jedi of the Republic Mace Windu as my least favorite art in any modern Star Wars comic since the mm. reboot. And maybe, you know, at least in the top five of worst art in a Star Wars comic of all Was, time for me. Worse than Zane Carrick. It just, it just, it hurts. It hurts. Because I love the film, and by God, that artwork is just, oh, it's, 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 it's bad. Okay, so that leaves us with the last category, which will be a quick one. Uh, before we get into IDW and Yen Press, and that is the collected editions and or trade paperbacks that weren't otherwise mentioned previously. So we had the trade paperback of the aforementioned and oft-maligned Jedi of the Republic Mace Windu, uh, starring generic bald black guy as Mace Windu. Um, we had uh, Rogue One getting a hardcover collected edition. Captain Phasma, the comic series that is, getting a hardcover collected edition. And several Legends epic collections, those large collected editions, kind of omnibus-style collected editions of materials from the Legends continuity. We had Volume 4 of Empire, Volume 3 of the original Marvel years, uh, The Menace Revealed, which is Volume 1, but I think it's of 1, uh, if it's anything like the original omnibus from Dark Horse with the same name. Uh, the New Republic, Volume 4, Legacy, my favorite car, uh, Star Wars comic series of all time, Volume 2, and The Clone Wars, Volume 2 as well. Um, any thoughts remaining on the collected edition? I know we probably talked about all of these in the past, but is there anything you want to note with any of those? No, I mean, I, I, I just love that we're still seeing Legends being sold, even if it's not new Legends. I mean, yay, yay. <laughs> yes, this is good. This is true. Although, may I say, uh, something that, that people maybe don't realize from a, a writing standpoint. So I've had interesting experiences with different publishers. Um, I self-published a saga on home video, which means that when there is profit, it comes to me. I put it on my taxes. That's it, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. um, which was great. I did that because I had previously worked with a publisher who was a relatively small publisher through which I had multiple things published. 
um, that we, that I never saw a dime for anything mm. that I wrote. Um, at some and every time you would ask for the numbers, we would never actually wind up getting the numbers. Um, so either things sold terribly for everything put out by the publisher, um, or we and I mean me and other authors who have had the same frustration got screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of why you know I, I was wary when when it came to it. Although, um, ironically, as that publisher is closing, it has opened up the ability for me to take one of the books previously published um, under that banner, and it'll now uh, my book Greater Good will soon be getting a reprint or a, a new publishing uh, through Jim Wilder's Arc Beetle Press, which will be the first nice. time also as a bonus story that my story Echoes that I self-published in 2006 that's been long out of print um, will actually be available again. Um, but it came out of having this experience with the publisher where there should have been some proceeds and there never was. Then you've got my first experience writing, which was professionally at least, writing for Star Wars Tales, where I just got lucky and, and mm-hmm. happened to be invited. And in that case, it's a little bit different because you don't retain the rights to what you create. So you get paid up front, and after a certain point, there can be further royalties and whatnot. But I'll say that after being paid, I didn't see any more cash coming out of that, I think because they pay enough of it up front. Um, I never was notified officially of the fact that after they were like, okay, well, here's your two issues or your two copies of the same issue. Now, here's mm-hmm. a trade paperback that includes that issue. You know that's coming because uh, that's just part of the process, so they don't necessarily need to notify you per se. But, oh, look, it's being used as a mm-hmm. Hasbro comic pack. Nobody ever mentioned that to me. I was never sent, like, a comp copy or anything of it. Yeah. I had to find out, if I remember correctly, someone pointed to Star Wars Insider. And then you move further along from that, and now that Marvel has this backlog of Legends material, um, they've got that same issue of Tales that I wrote for out digitally through Comixology now for sale. I don't see a penny from that. I don't think anybody involved sees a penny from that. It's just part of what was sold over with the the material. Um, mm-hmm. So it's cool that these are all being reprinted, but I wonder how it's – how, if at all, there's any compensation going to any of the original creators and how their contracts all differ depending on you know their stature in the industry and when they signed up and was it an ongoing series or a one-off job or whatever um, mm-hmm. because this could be a bunch of stuff being reprinted essentially – super cheap by marvel because they're paying essentially printing and marketing costs and maybe new covers and whatnot without maybe necessarily having to pay much if anything to the actual people who wrote or did the art for the interior stories um it really makes me wonder because you know like again i that's another thing i was never notified about i found out that that issue was being sold by a listener saying hey did you know that the issue is on comiXology now being sold with by marvel with the legends banner on it (laughs) no but thanks for telling me. Um, so I wonder. I just kind of wonder about the the economic circumstances around it because you know having been in that situation, but also being sort of the econ nerd, teaching it every day. Um, I just kind of sit back and scratch my head and wonder about um, the process for those. But it so, is so nice that means actually out there. That means now you could say that you've wrote for Dark Horse and Marvel Comics. Kind of, kind <laughs> of. I, or I've had items published oh, through Dark better. Horse and Marvel. 
That sounds even more snooty. Because I it has it. been published. Okay. I just didn't write it for them. I wrote for <laughs> Dark Horse, you see. There you go. Uh, that's, uh, that's, I have works currently in print digitally through Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Just wait till they put it out in a print version. I can be all like, like frou-frou about that. Um, but yeah, it, it just makes me wonder because um, the a lot of times, you know, I, I love how people are like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, you've written some stuff. Why do you still work? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> because I like to eat. <laughs> I would like my child to have diapers. I like having a roof. You know, that sort of thing. Right. Gas ain't free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So that brings us to kind of an oddball before we get to IDW, and that's Yen Press. Uh, Yen Press did an unprecedented thing this year. We had a Star Wars book that is Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, which is one of the early, early Disney Lucasfilm Press books for the new canon um, that is one of the best books thus far for mm-hmm. the new canon, get a manga adaptation in Japan, only to eventually wind up being collected and translated and released in the United States. Uh, it isn't all out yet. Lost Stars Volume 1, however, is, which is the first part of the story, uh, framed a little differently uh, as opposed to being entirely chronological but giving us a chance to sort of re-experience that story in a new way. Um, I have to say, just up front, this really was a fun adaptation. I love that book, so getting to see them in that style was great. But I've always been a fan of taking stories we've already seen and giving us a manga adaptation of it. Like, normal comic adaptations do little to nothing for me. Give me a manga adaptation like they did with um, A New Hope, Empire, Jedi, and uh, Phantom Menace, and... I'm all about it. And Lost mm-hmm. Stars was was really well done. Um, obviously, your mileage will vary because it's an adaptation of an existing story. It's not like it's in something entirely new. But this is a must-buy for me, and I'm eager for Volume 2, which I don't think is out yet unless I missed a pre-order somewhere. No, it's not out yet. See, for me, this is one that I would like to get it, but I don't want to pay the price I've seen it at the stores. Um you know, I, I'm not typically an anime fan, so that's not something that really jumps out to me. But I like the fact that it's been converted to English the way they've got it and stuff. And I do like, like you said, it's it's presented in a different, not not necessarily in a, a chronological with jumps. How, how are they doing that? Because, I mean, if it's in more than what we're looking at, probably at least three volumes, maybe up to four or five. So understand, of course, that with this being an actual manga adaptation, uh, there's only two options when you go and, and put something like that into the U.S. market, which is you reverse your artwork on every page or you put it out so that it basically for a U.S. audience looks like you're reading it backwards from back cover to front cover because that's how these books are in Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. A right to left, not left to right reading style, what we think of as um, back to front instead of front to back. Um, but what it does is it actually starts you out with combat essentially with some with some uh, space combat scene in which we hear a little bit about you know the fact that the war is going on it then jumps us to echo base and gives us the events of the empire strikes back and how they're portrayed in the novel and then from there um it kind of flashes back and gives us the origin story then leading forward up to uh by the end of the first issue um leading up to the uh destruction of uh, Alderaan. So it basically, it, it sort of takes the approach that if you really want to grab someone, don't start with them as kids, 
because that may not grab your adult audience. Give it mm. an action sequence. Give it some of them, you know, you know, in, in familiar Star Wars settings and events. Mm-hmm. Then you can jump back in time and tell the rest of the story in whatever order you like, because now you've got them hooked. And yeah. I think it did a pretty good job of doing so. I actually wonder if I would have been even more positive on the book, which I'm already incredibly positive on, um, mm-hmm. if it had been told this way. Because I do remember those first few chapters being a little tougher to get into because of the age of the characters. But I had mm-hmm. to know that they, we were going to see throughout much of their lifetime in the book. So stick with it. And it absolutely paid off as it really got revving up you know it's like a george lucas way of doing it in fact that's how i i everybody i got hooked into legends i did that with the new jedi order i gave them star by star and by the time they got done with that book they're like dude where do i begin i want to i want to get to here again and every one of them that read that series was like give me as much star wars as you can (laughs) (laughs) so you started them out on star by star which was not only an important book but also saw a major character death and mm-hmm. whatnot. It reminds me very much of Doctor Who. So my for and fans of who are, are people who are listeners to this who are fans of Doctor Who will probably find this amusing. Uh, so I never got into the original Doctor Who series, and when the relaunch started uh, or the the revival started with uh, the the ninth Doctor with Chris Eccleston, I got a few episodes into it and I was like, you know what? Nah, this isn't my thing. The the alien suits that are like full of fart gas or something. You know what? No, I think I'm done. Right. Um, <laughs> like I was hooked by by pleased to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. And then by a few episodes later, I was like, nope, not so much. And then I'm at Con Carolina's one year. And it's the Gilbertsons. It's uh, Chris Walker, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, it was Gilbertsons, Chris Walker. Um, and we're all sitting there. And it happens to be that Con Carolinas is when they have a major momentous, I think it's a mid-season break episode of Doctor Who airing. And it was Mm -hmm. A Good Man Goes to War. It's the 11th Doctor. It has huge revelations in it. And it is one of the most important episodes of all of the 11th Doctor's era. And it was the one episode I saw with no context whatsoever. And their excitement... And and what I saw in that blew me away enough to go like, I want more. And I went back and watched all of the modern stuff, all the modern spinoffs, and then jumped back in and have been slowly going through all the classic stuff. So now that I've seen now I've seen basically eighth doctor onward and I've seen the first doctor and most of the second doctor, but not the stuff in between. Um, Mm. But it is the same kind of thing. It was kind of like, holy crap. I'm not sure I understood all that, but damn, that was awesome. I'm going (laughs) to get more. Including the stuff before this, so I can understand what I just saw. Uh, there's 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 merit to that approach, although I'm not sure it's the 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 one that leaves you the most uh, uh, spoiler free. Certainly. <laughs> All right, that brings us to IDW, uh, who of course puts out Star Wars comics, but they're aimed for a somewhat younger audience. And in this case. There's not really a whole lot to get into. They have Star Wars Adventures, Forces of Destiny, Tales from Vader's Castle, some adaptations and some collections. So we'll go through it kind of in chunks. So for Star Wars Adventures, which is their main series, they had issues 6 through 16. Their 2018 annual, which actually brought in John Jackson Miller, they had a story for Free Comic Book Day. They had uh, some trade paperbacks that collected just regular issues, uh, Unexpected Detour, Endangered, and Smuggler's Blues, which are the second, third, and fourth trade paperbacks. And then they had a story that had previously been released as an exclusive to Loot Crate called Destroyer Down 
that was then split into three issues, and the first two of those three issues were released in 2018. Um, Star Wars Adventures tends to have two stories per issue for what it's worth, one that is set anywhere within the Star Wars timeline, uh, typically with popular characters, and then there's a backup story typically that has uh, one of the descendants, uh, I forget if it's grandson or son, I forget, I forget. Um, but one of the descendants of the Graf children who we meet in Adventures in Wild Space in these stories called Tales from Wild Space that are usually basically that character, Crater, uh, from those books and a couple of others, basically just in some random situation where they're like, you know what, this reminds me of a story. And you have a really brief flashback to Adventures set basically anywhere in the saga with familiar characters again. Um, so you have one that's told without a framing story and one that's told with that framing story in each individual issue. Um, what did you think of Star Wars Adventures, or have you even picked up Star Wars Adventures, given that um, one of the things we run into is that I get these digitally so I can read them up front immediately, and then I pick them up physically for my collection, which means I don't need those digital codes, so I hand those off uh, to Mark so that together we can kind of keep it keep the costs as low for each of us as possible. Um, and I can't do that with Star Wars Adventures because Star Wars Adventures doesn't do the digital copy with the physical copy thing. So I don't even know what Mark has read of these. Uh, have you touched Star Wars Adventures and what was, ha has been your impression so far? And we get to the foreshadowed part. <laughs> uh, no, that I haven't. Uh, this for me has been in my mind, and, and I'm kind of hoping that the discussion that comes out of here will be an interesting one for the listeners because for me, this is like the Lego canon. This is like a canon adjacent. I have a hard time accepting these stories as stories that would be canical. Um, but at the same time, though, the, the premise of the Star Wars adventures reminds me of the Clone Wars adventures or whatever the books they had that Dark Horse put out those little tinier versions, which I did go back and collect, but they were the last thing I was collecting in my Legends heyday of, okay, I got to get all the books, I got to get all the comics. Once I got all the comics, then I went back and I was getting all those small adventures. In fact, there's still a few of those out there that I don't have. Um, but so for me, that's been like the main thing. And then the art style on these, it, it, you know, they, they market it as aimed for that next generation of comic book fans. And to me, it's more closer in the style of, uh, teen Titans go. I mean, it's not, it's not that bad, but, but it's too, too cartoony, I guess for me, I haven't, I, I haven't really got into it No, surprisingly, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I, I've liked a lot of stuff that IDW has done outside of Star Wars, but these not only do they not grab me, usually I, I have a sort of a cringe every time. So I, I order my comics through Things from Another World, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it's shipped at the end of the month. So I get all of it in one shot. It keeps the shipping costs down, etc. I have to do it through UPS because in the past I've had a lot of issues with comics from them actually being damaged along the way in hard cardboard mailers that people from the USPS have bent to stick inside mailboxes like idiots. Right. Um, uh, not to speak ill of USPS, we just have had some really crappy carriers at my at the apartment we used to live in. So every month it says I get a little thing that says, "Hey, here are your subscription issues for this month. Check to make sure that you've you know you've got the ones that you want, so we can put in the order for them." And one, every time I go in, there's at least two different cover versions of this series, and for some reason, they can't figure out that you only probably want one of the covers, so I have to mm -hmm. manually check that off each time. Um, <laughs> but I'm also kind of cringy because I'm like, God, I definitely don't want two. I barely want one. <laughs> I want one because it's going to be in my collection. 
that's all. Because it's such a – it's very much like the old Clone Wars adventures. I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the Clone Wars adventures in the era of the uh, Tartakovsky series prior to eventually getting um, the later series with Filoni, right? So Clone Wars Adventures had several stories per issue. They were all kind of quick, fluff stories. And that's essentially what we're getting here. Um, to their credit, they have had some issues like Numbers 10 and 11, Numbers 12 and 13, where you had stories that actually started in one issue and continued to the next. Although, if you didn't have two stories in every issue, you could actually tell one whole story in an issue. Perish the freaking thought! Um, <laughs> and that at least gives them a chance to get a little more depth, but they are very much kind of a cartoony thing. Um, you could imagine if these were done as animation, that they'd be a lot like resistance in the sense that in resistance, it sometimes has deeper themes, sometimes has more adult content, barely. Um, at least now it's starting to feel more like a star Wars show. Cause they're actually doing star Wars stuff with it. But like imagine Kaz on that show. He runs down a corridor and has to make a sharp turn, okay? How does he do it <laughs> every time? How does he do it in your imagination when, with just the feel of the show? He's going to pinwheel his arms around and <laughs> act like a damn Looney Tunes character as he turns that corner, right? Um, <laughs> if he wasn't actually a Star Wars character, he would probably make a sound like Goofy as he turned the corner. Or you'd have like a zoinks kind of thing happening a la Scooby-Doo. Um that's how I feel like any of these stories that they were turned into animation would be, which is funny because it also means that when uh, uh, Kaz finally does show up in issue, uh, it was issue 15 or 16, um, then, hey, he feels right at home. Um, it's just it's just kitty fair. I mean, it's not great. It's not completely terrible it's definitely not something that adults are going to get a whole lot out of kids mm. might enjoy it um, i would say to its credit even though it's aimed at kids it is significantly more mature relatively speaking than say the old star comics ewoks and droid series it's not that kid. okay okay that yeah. was just kitty stupid right like like oh my god on indoor all of the landscape has faces and talks and does stuff right? <laughs> um, whereas in this case it's just simplistic and drawn in that story. Although there was one point at where there was somewhat of a dark tale. You had a, a Padme and Anakin being allowed to attend like an art presentation of some kind. I forget exactly what it was. And it turns out that the artist hates Padme and is working for Dooku and is trying to kill them. And it, it gets kind of dark for a little bit. Um, it's just, it's an odd story. Um, though I am glad that Destroyer Down is finally getting um, a wide release because that was actually a decent enough story it wasn't amazing but it told stories in it basically gave you a story that was set in um the era right before the force awakens with ray and then had the backstory of this crash star destroyer given in another chunk of the story mm -hmm. so with these issues being able to tell that you've got sort of these interrelated stories kind of like a low-end version of what they did with, you know, Mutiny Mancala and Burning Seas with Vader and ongoing Star Wars uh, in reverse order there, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, they're just not my thing. And I really, really wish that they would go for slightly longer stories and just get rid of the Tales from Wild Space stuff because it's mm. not – it just doesn't – like, like I guess we should be glad that it's one human child, one – droid who's often condescending 
or I guess two droids, one of which is often condescending, and like the little um, Kowaki and Monkey Lizard are the only ones typically on that ship. Because if I have to deal with that kid doing his moralizing, this reminds me of a tail crap constantly, probably another human being would have put him in the airlock by now and spaced <laughs> his little butt. Um, it's just, I don't know. Again, though, we're not the target audience. So for someone who is a kid, it'll be great. Like, this is probably going to be one of the ways that I'll introduce Cade someday to Star Wars comics, uh, probably in digital form of some kind. Um, so he doesn't destroy the ones in the collection. But mm-hmm. one of these things that just is not, uh, just not our thing. It's not our, our yeah. demographic. And that, the next chunk is the same way, because that's I, I wanted to do that with my daughter with the Forces of Destiny toy line when they were on sale, especially I was like, we could get like all of them. She didn't care. I'm like, I'm thinking maybe in the next few years she'll be more in the target audience, but at five and six, it was, it was no interest. Yes, that's right. We've got Forces of Destiny. And for Forces of Destiny, there were individual releases. Now, this is sort of. It's 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 kind of hard to describe because it was marketed as Forces of Destiny as its own series of one shots, but there were times you'd see it listed as Star Wars Adventures Forces of Destiny. So it's either a sub series mm-hmm. of Star Wars Adventures or it's its own line. I wonder if to some degree there's a a legal issue there uh, or a contractual issue there. But suffice to say, there were individual uh, issues for Leia, Rey, Hera, the pair of Ahsoka and Padme, and the pair of Rose. And page, and then it was all combined into a trade paperback. What frustrated me about this was that these it, it, it's a series that couldn't figure out what it wanted to do mm-hmm. because some of these are brand new stories featuring the characters, the female leads of Star Wars, um, who are the focal point of Forces of Destiny, but which are all new stories. And some of these are straight-up adaptations of existing stories from Forces of Destiny with a little bit of extra connective tissue connected to it, like, say, the Ahsoka and Padme one. So it's like a series that didn't really know what it was when it was being produced. And I don't get how you produce a series like that. Like, somebody's got to conceptualize what this series is supposed to be and what these stories are. And if some people are pitching original stories and others are pitching, hey, I'll do an adaptation – don't you at some point say, no, actually, one of those is what this series is. The other is what the series is not. So you need to mm-hmm. do it the other way if you're going to be part of this. But instead, it winds up being this bizarre amalgamation of the two, uh, which had those five issues and a trade paperback in 2018. Yeah, the trade paperbacks probably be something I will pick up for Jaina down the road. Because, like I said, when this line launched, I immediately thought this is this is her jump on point. But Again, five and six, her and her cousins are just I, I, I feel like I'm trying to push candy onto kids that like know better. <laughs> <laughs> trying to push candy onto kids who know better. Um that's that's an interesting way of putting it. So it is still candy. But the kids are like, nah, nah, man. I know that's the bad candy. It'd be like me what? when I was a kid, somebody offering me candy, but it's licorice. <laughs> no, <Nah>, man. <laughs> I'm right? hip to that crap. Oh, you're gonna give me an old man's butterscotch instead of some Starburst? <laughs> no, no, no. Give me the Starburst, bro. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Speaking of comics that were a short series from uh, IDW, we also had Tales from Vader's Castle, which was interesting in that. It brought in one of the Graf siblings, Lena, and she is at that point working with the uh, – I forget if it was the Rebellion or the Resistance. I think it was the Resistance if I remember correctly. It's been a while. Um, but she's working for our good guys, uh, fighting against the evil fascist bad guys, 
and leads a team that winds up uh, there on Mustafar at Vader's castle. And in the process of making their way through it, they wind up having, again, kind of a, you know what this reminds me of type of flashback sequence uh, in which we see different adventures in each comic um, that are meant to be sort of, you know, with the coloration and the aspects of the story. If this was for younger kids, they might find them kind of chilling. But in mm -hmm. a Goosebumps uh, you know, like Goosebumps, the book series kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a Goosebumps sort of way, not like a uh, scary stories to tell in the dark, you're going to crap your pants sort of way. <laughs> um, so an, an interesting concept. It's one of those ones I kind of sat back and said, what are they doing with this exactly? Tales from Vader's Castle? Turns out it's kind of like their Halloween theme concept yeah. for a miniseries. Yeah. And in that sense, I actually like these better than Star Wars Adventures because at least these felt like they had a purpose to their storytelling and at least somewhat of a through line that you usually don't get with Star Wars adventures. A theme. Yeah. Now, so, so with this, I, I kind of, I had to fall onto the whole, it's a different publisher. My wife, when I walk into the local comic book store, gives me one option. I, I can go with one publisher and I, and I, I, that was back in the day. It was Dark Horse. I wasn't following my Marvel Spider-Man because I was doing all my Star Wars and Dark Horse. And then Marvel bought it. And then I was like, <laughs> I'm just following one line, honey. It's all Marvel now, baby. So then IDW comes out with this stuff. And I'm like, ah, if I bring it home and she sees a different publisher, my ass is grass. <laughs> so I, this one looked good, but I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't throw some dimes that way. And so I kind of fall in that whole, like, in my mind, IDW doesn't quite exist kind of category. I got this headcanon action going on. I'm just erasing it. And and I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, could you almost say that, that most of the IDW stuff is stuff that could be in, in the Legends hierarchy of things, stuff that would fall into even a, a secondary canon, the S canon level? Well, you know, it's all supposed to matter now. Or excuse me, uh, it's all supposed to be equal level of canon now. Much of it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, bump, right. But, uh, yeah, I think that if this, I mean, this falls in for me, it falls into the category of a lot of the stuff before Jeremy Barlow came in with the issue with my story in it, just coincidentally, um, and sort of revamped what Star Wars Tales was telling us what's in or outside of, of canon, giving us less stories per issue so they could have a little more depth and that sort of thing. Um, the first 20 or so issues of Tales felt very random with some stories in continuity, some stories that were not, uh, often stories that were goofy, inconsequential, etc., that were just kind of frustrating. I kind of feel like this is what we're getting here with most of the IDW stuff. I don't want to say that it's stuff that necessarily, you know, if this was the Legends continuity, this would probably all still be C canon, but it'd be the stuff we were groaning about the fact that we had to consider it C canon. <laughs> like that, oh, here's this story from, from uh, uh, the early issues of Tales. Man, it was awful. But it seems to kind of still fit, and they've referenced it in this other story. So my God, we have to we have to count it. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, definitely skippable. Um, there has yet to be anything whatsoever in any of the IDW stuff that actually matters or matters enough, at least, to bother picking it up if what you're going for is, you know, th the main through line of Star Wars stories. I mean, there's just there's just not a lot here. It's it is put it this way. If you're a hunter, then Marvel is a roast rabbit or a roast something you have hunted, right? Mm. It's meaty. 
it's thick. Maybe a little gamey. <laughs> may make it sick. <laughs> but it's meaty, and you feel pride in it, right? Those kinds of rabbits that you've hunted. Whereas IDW is like peeps. At least I think it could be peeps. I think peeps can be, you know, chicks or rabbits or something. But you get what I'm saying. One is fluffy and substantial, and the other one is nice and meaty, but it may make you sick. I, I was thinking you were going to go with mice or something, you know, something. Look, I went hunting today and I came back with this little mouse. Oh, we're all going to have a nice stew. <laughs> the shame. No, no, the flip side, if, if we're talking about an actual hunter and hunter's pride, then one is I went out and killed a wild boar. And the other is <laughs> I went to the store and brought back this little uh, Ziploc bag of ham. <laughs> right, right. That's the amount of effort and, and deep storytelling going into the two different project lines. Um, so, yeah, just didn't didn't do a whole lot for me now they have had one place that i would say that they are really excelling though is in their adaptations and their collections Mm -hmm. um adaptation wise they put out their own adaptation of the last jedi just as they did for the force awakens just as they're about to for solo and just as they did for each of the uh, earlier trilogies uh, the original trilogy of which is being broken up now and being released as individual adaptations for each film one issue per film as opposed to it being multiple per and the artwork tends to be somewhat more kid friendly um leaning towards cartoony so the artwork tends to be a little more like what we'd expect from something like star wars adventures Mm -hmm. but i must say i really enjoy the style and the way that they've approached it Uh, i think the guy's last name i think it's alexander ferrari or something like that is the name of the person doing it um these have been fun adaptations and definitely ones that i would want to share with cade at some point, uh, I dare say that in some cases they are better than the ones from Marvel. Like the Last Jedi adaptation, if I were to say which one should you pick up, the one from Marvel that's six issues or the single issue one uh, from IDW, I'd point to the IDW one because mm-hmm. it is all there together and it doesn't look like garbage. Nice. Definitely something that I didn't think about because I did not – I didn't know that they did those. Mm. Hmm. You're educating me yet again, Shaw. There you go. And speaking of education, transition, transition, we also have the collections. And one of the collections that IDW got going, uh, I guess it was last year, or, well, the previous year, uh, two years ago now, last year as of the year that we're covering here, was they started to collect the classic Star Wars newspaper strips in their original form. Yes, Marvel is putting out these collected versions of newspaper strips, and the stuff that they're putting out tends to be the stuff from classic Star Wars, where it was all reorganized and colored and whatnot and put out by Dark Horse. Okay, This is the actual original strips reprinted in their original form, kind mm-hmm. of like uh, the set that I've got that's the Archie Goodwin, um, Al Williamson uh, signed set that I got that came from, I guess, 1990, 1991, like before Dark Horse really picked up the license and ran with it, they were able to put it out through a Cochran or something. Um, So it's the original form, and it's done in like an archive scholarly format and has nice, deep um, uh, introductory comments for each volume and whatnot. Um, Giant, really thick books, um, kind of unwieldy, like coffee table book size, um, but a nice series to actually collect those in a way that the average person is going to be able to actually acquire. Um, And they put out the latter two uh, of the currently released ones, which I believe are all of them, if I remember correctly. But the latter two, which are the classic newspaper comics volumes two and three through IDW this year. 
um, that were covered in 2018. If you're someone who likes the newspaper comics, the classic ones, this is a great set to pick up. And I believe that um, if I remember correctly, uh, Rich Handley had a hand in some of the uh, uh, the, the talking about it in the individual volumes. And he's somebody who's been very active within the fan community as well. Uh, also, his publishing company does a bunch of stuff for things like Watchmen and Back to the Future and, and, and whatnot. So definitely um, an awesome collection for someone who's into sort of archival, older Star Wars stuff and finally getting to see those in their original form, including some that really hadn't seen reprint uh, since, at least not officially. Yeah, that is cool. That is really cool. It's like the old hyperspace newspaper strip collection just exploded onto the page. <laughs> and speaking true. of exploding, I guess we should add one last note here before we wrap things up uh, with some final thoughts. And that is that there was another publisher of Star Wars comics out there, which was uh, Joe Books. And Joe Books apparently is done. They were putting out those uh, Cine Story comics that were basically taking screenshots from Star Wars films and cartoon series and whatnot and giving us those as comic form, these big, thick, gigantic trade paperback comics. And uh, I believe it was Jedi Bibliotech. Uh, that discovered and then passed it along to Eddie Van, uh, I think it was Eddie Vanderheiden, uh, maybe even Carlos, um, but to one of them uh, who recently posted on Facebook to let us know the news in English, which was, yeah, Joe Comics will know, or Joe Books, whatever it is, uh, Joe Books, I think. I always get them confused because one of them is the publisher, I guess it's Joe Books. Uh, one of them was the publisher of the Star Wars comics, and the other one was the name under which uh, Joe Straczynski um, put out comics at one point. Mm, either way, but, Joe Dunn. But these, yeah, these Sinistory comics are apparently done. The ones that were already um, kind of on the table for pre-order, like the one for Thrawn episodes of Rebels and the one for The Empire Strikes Back, um, they will not be coming out. So at this point, we basically have um, one for A New Hope, three for Rebels, and that is the full product line. None of which wow. was from 2018, I believe. All right. So, and yes, I did just look on my shelf. It is Joe Books. I just can't read it from here because my eyesight sucks. <laughs> um, looking back on this, I got to say, I think this was a stronger year for comics than it was for books. But as I've quoted Dennis Miller many times, that's basically being valedictorian of summer school because we still have a lot of stories that don't really matter much. And uh, it's the strength of the storytelling itself in many of these stories that manages to buoy it up. Um, the Darth Vader stuff, some aspects of Poe Dameron, uh, the stuff we got from Dr. Affer, or at least some aspects of it, um, have really kind of lifted just the general product line and helped it stay afloat uh, as far as quality goes, I think. Um, and then IDW just seems like it's coasting along, you know, for again, admittedly, for a different target audience, but aside from some adaptations of collections, kind of meh. I mean, if anybody mm. knocked it out of the park this year, it was really Yen Press, and that was in giving us a, a manga adaptation of an existing novel, for all things. So I would say it was definitely a better year for comics than books, but I still feel like we need, we need more to them. We need more stories that really kind of matter. But I think part of that is that they really are still trying to center a lot of stuff around the era shortly after A New Hope, which, you know, you can't do a whole lot in with existing characters because we know where they're going to end up. You can't yeah. take a lot of chances with them when you're using those existing characters. But if anything, hopefully 
the success of the ear doing stuff in the era between trilogies, uh, between the or prequel and original trilogies at least, um, and going into some darker, more interesting places with Vader and having more original stories with original characters like Doctor Afra will spur them to do something more with that in the future, and something that's more yeah, like say the Age of product line will be seen as uh, you know not befitting of this product line so that uh, we don't necessarily see a lot of repeats of the same type of thing again. Though, again, that's another instance of not being part of the target audience, at least not from where I'm standing. So, you know, a decent year for Star Wars comics um, and a year in which Marvel can at least sit back and say, you know what, where we succeeded, we didn't succeed by doing a hundred plus alternate covers to boost our sales. (laughs) So, you know, at least we got it legitimately this year. See, I feel like where I fall on the target spectrum is the ongoing stuff. You know, like that's where my bread and butter is. So when I look at at the year of comics, you know, and I think about which ones of those stand out, I, I definitely feel it was a solid year. But you're right in the aspect of the quantity is so high that the quality ones don't quite measure up. It's not quite like a 40-60 kind of split, but there's definitely so many out there of all the other ones. So when I look at it, it's those ongoing ones that really, you know, hit me. But again, it's that target audience. There's just an ocean of fans out there with so many different tastes that they do have the spread covered in a lot of ways. But I find like a a fan like myself, I'm looking for that ongoing story. I want the the through story, the stuff that feels like a throwaway will always for me feel like a throwaway. Well, some people thrive on getting it all and don't care if it's a, a story that doesn't have any direction to it or, or any characters beyond just this one moment. Uh, but I don't know for me, it, it's, it's that plus the art. Like I, I think that that's the one thing about comics. It's always, you know, like I, I may have a hard time getting into a book, but even if I can't get into the, the words on the comic, I can always just look through, you know, read the, the pictures and then come back and read the actual, you know, story later and get two different experiences out of it. So that's always appealed more to me in the general aspect of which media I like the most. So I think that that also kind of plays into when I feel, you know, what what has a better year between comics and books. I always feel like that kind of adds to it because I do get a visual enjoyment out of it that I don't really get with a book. I mean, a book, sometimes you get that really great cover and, the you know, the feel of it's great and all, but. I don't know the comic having so many things you can like just screenshot and put it on your phone or, you know, just have a nice little shot of it. Like there's, there's been some really good gems, man. There's some great artists out there that do the covers as well as the inside. I mean, some of the internal art in Marvel's camp has been great. I mean, not all of it. There's been stuff out there that's been just horrendous, but there've been some great moments in a lot of these ongoing lines, especially I think, I think hands down in Marvel's ongoing line department, that's, where they need to just keep investing. They need to do more ongoing series and less of the one shots, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think Yen Press, what they're doing there is a brilliant move. Puts them on the market, puts them on the list of of comics coming out, and they can only go up from there. I mean, and the fact that you know it's a different market and we're seeing it translate again, there's that lure to people that have no idea. I mean, the idea of reading it backwards kind of appeals to me because. You know, when I when I used to get insider magazines, I kind of tended to always do that anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, I wonder how that would read. Um, and IDW, like, just just this year alone, like, I feel like there's some things about IDW that I wasn't aware of that makes me kind of lean like maybe we should get a couple of these things as as 
rare items, not not call them actual comics. Tell me, it's like it's like an essential guide kind of thing. That comic short one looks looks pretty cool, man. I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm down for that. <laughs> so that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom and remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on stitcher and on itunes which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it you can also find links to our episodes on both our twitter and facebook pages at swbeyondfilms or just type in stars beyond the films in your search bar hey but no matter how you get there be sure to like our facebook page it's one of the best ways to interact with us it's our own home one if you will not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any star wars and or legends questions or if you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we wanted to mention to you our sponsors audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Report, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, the Canning Universe, the Harry Potter Universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out ate. Because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, it's Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That, um... I honestly have nothing. Uh, don't quote us the odds that I'll have a damn thing for uh, the don't quote us the odds part of this. I... I completely drew a blank. Usually there's something snarky to say, but didn't have a whole lot of snark this time. What are the odds of that? <laughs> what are the odds I'll have a voice at the end of the week? Apparently shouting at scouts in the snow was a lot rougher on my throat than I thought. <laughs> ah, and winter is coming. Winter is here. <laughs> in fact, in fact, at 10 o'clock tonight, our winter storm warning goes into effect. They think we're going to get six inches of snow and call off school in the morning. I'm like, yeah, oh right. Oh, my God. I just realized. Imagine how traumatized Tycho must have been when he saw the first tagline for Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay. Now we've got something snarky. All right. Winter Check. is coming. How do you know, you bastard? <laughs>